on Sunday, I'll be nine years younger than you, which is weird because you felt like sort of our, my age when you were teaching at Berkeley. I was just immature. That's all. You know, that's probably what sold me on you because God <laughs> knows there's an immaturity in my own work. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 752, Everything is Theater. Richard E.T. White is the former artistic director of the Eureka Theater in San Francisco, the Wisdom Bridge Theater in Chicago, and for the last 26 years, he's been the longest-serving chair of the Cornish College of the Arts Theater Department in that institution's 103-year-old history. Richard was also my first directing teacher and the first college professor I ever had at the UC Berkeley Drama Department in the late 70s, early 80s to espouse, to me anyway, the idea that theater was, can be, and should be much, much more than the largely naturalistic white male playwrights the rest of that department was focused on. In fairness, this might have been taught in other classes, but none of the ones I was in. Richard and I recently connected via a Cal alumni group on Facebook, and over the course of an hour-long conversation, during which we talked about Shakespeare and teaching, both here and in Japan, Richard and I talked about where this expansive view of theater began for him. Perhaps the single most influential thing that's ever happened to me in the theater was when I was, I think in my second year of college at the University of Washington, you know, one day I was just walking across the campus um, going to get lunch at the, you know, the Husky Union building. And I ran across a little stage and it was the San Francisco meme troupe. And they were doing a Commedia dell'arte called Rusante Comes Home from the Wars. And I, I just stood there and I watched it. I was, I was uh, amazed because I, you know, I, I was uh, in theater. I didn't yet know that it was a calling, but I sort of gotten myself into the theater department and I was enjoying my classes and, and I was trying to figure out how I could balance my classes with my sense of my enjoyment of theater with my sense of uh, my, my anger and disgust and outrage at the Vietnam War and the world around me. And there I was watching comedy, stuff that made me laugh my ass off, but at the same time, it was just trenchant and smart and was completely deconstructing the hypocrisy of sending young men off to war for a cause that was, you know, probably, you know, inspired by capitalism, you know, toxic capitalism rather than any real sense of principle or treaty. And, and, and I, it, it changed my life. And it was just, and it was outdoors and it was, it, it was, it was unlike theater that I had seen before. And I think that was the, the thing that sort of pushed me. And, um, you know, I became fascinated by the idea of theater can be anything and everywhere. And I kept, you know, the mime troupe kept coming back to Seattle and I kept seeing their work. And then there were street theaters in Seattle that were doing revolutionary, you know, anti-oppression work and because this was you know in the in the late 60s and early 70s and 
And so by the time I got to graduate school, you know, I had, I had seen and digested a bunch of things that were really powerful for me. And then, um, and so, you know, that led to, and then I found Richard Schechner's book, mm -hmm. Environmental Theater, mm -hmm. which was another gigantic breakthrough for me in reading Schechner's book uh, and, and looking at his productions of Tooth of Crime um, and the various other things, Dionysus in 69, all the things that the performance group did before it became the Wooster group. You know, so, uh, you know, by the time I got to you and, you know, your fellow students, uh, you know, I had, I had digested all of this. I had read about, um, Vakhtangov and Uplovkov and all of those, you know, revolutionary Russian directors who just sneered at the proscenium. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd started reading uh, about, uh, you know, the playwrights like Edward Bond um, and uh, Howard Brenton and David Hare, who were, you know, reincarnating Shakespeare and Brecht in their new forms. I had, uh, you know, staged my outdoor production of Man's, uh, A Man is a Man by Brecht, you know, and GI coffee houses. And, <laughs> and so the idea that then the theater is and belongs anywhere and everywhere, and that we take it to people. We don't just sit in our feathered nests and wait for people to come. We actually also take it out to them. And that was that was very much part of, uh, you know, my whole journey during that time period. Um, I was also I was also part of a, uh, an improv group. I answered an ad in the Daily Cal, and I, I think, or something like that, uh, to join an improv group called the Menagerie. And I ended up spending two years doing uh, improv on the steps in uh, Sproul Plaza, Perfect. you know, for Perfect. for Kenny's, you know, or or you know, we would we would go across the bay and and uh, you know do our little routines on street corners or down at the Embarcadero. And occasionally we'd book a gig at the other cafe or, yeah. you know, one of those places. And, uh, you know, all of that just fed my sense for whatever it's worth that, you know, theater is, you know, theater's anything you, you can, as long as there's an audience and a story yeah. and a messenger for the story and so it can happen anywhere and everywhere. Well, and that's the story I remember is that you said it like on the first day of directing class that the greatest piece of theater you'd ever seen. So this was in 80 or 81 mm. uh, was a Bruce Springsteen concert. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And live at Winterland. Live, live at Winterland. Well, and I, I've when I was then, I, when I started teaching in the eighties, I started giving my particularly younger actors um, I would make them listen to that that section on the live album, Springsteen's mm -hmm. live album, where he's telling the story of taking his physical for the draft. Mm -hmm. And it's just, he's got a little guitar noodling going on. He's just telling the story simply. He's not acting it. He's not reliving it. He's not putting any spin on it. He is simply just telling a story honestly. And it's one of the most moving things I've ever heard. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I see actors emoting and working so hard in a monologue, you know, I just go, please, just tell me, be, be who you are and tell me that story. And that was, I mean, that you saying that was revelatory 
to me. And and but the other thing I liked about it was that it it was um it was inclusive. Mm -hmm. It was both it was both expansive and inclusive. And it brought us to it it it, it opened up a set a, so many possibilities and was the answer to any uh purist, I guess, who would say who would sniff, oh well that's not theater. Oh that's not comedy oh that's not this that you know anybody who puts sort of borders on what a thing should be just mm -hmm. has always rankled me and and part of it is because you said yes but it can be all of this and that was it's a it's a lesson i still believe heartily yeah i mean i, I think it you know it, it's certainly uh it has a lot to do with the mime troupe who of course led me also to brecht you know, and, and Brecht, you know, is an infinitely renewable resource for me. Uh, you know, his, his ideas, his philosophy, his sense of what theater can and should be. And uh, I've, you know, I've always been uh, tied to, influenced by that, that sense. And, uh, and, you know, one of the things that's wonderful about Brecht um, that people forget in the kind of reverence for him as a theorist uh, is, what an amazing showman he was, you know, and music was in all of his plays. And, you know, he, his, uh, you know, his work with Kurt Weill and all those other composers, Hans Eisler, um, Paul Dessau, it, you know, they rocked the house yeah. in those, yeah. in those really powerful searing uh, critiques of power and capital. Um, they, they rocked the house and, you know, Brecht was a, he was a, he was an absolute, uh, entertainer. You know, you think about, um, Caucasian chalk circle and how it's got like the best chase scene ever on stage in it, you know, when, when, uh, she's, she's, uh, trying to escape through the mountains with the little child, you know, and she's got all these soldiers following her and she has to like climb cliffs and all of that. You know, and there's a, there's a million different ways to stage that, but what's at the heart of it is the, the stakes of, you know, resistance and overwhelming might and, mm -hmm. and the guts of this young person. And, uh, and then all the way through that fabulous player, these, you know, super powerful songs. Yeah. So, you know, Brecht, rock and roll, uh, you know, about the time that, that we met, I also, I had, uh, uh, discovered X and the blasters and, you know, the, all of that, you know, sort of LA punk movement. And, and that had changed me in uncountable mm -hmm. ways. I mean, literally changed the molecules in my body. And so, you know, all of those things conspired uh, uh, to, you know, make me think as an artist and, you know, this has become kind of a truism and almost a cliche, but you know, you want theater to have the visceral impact of a rock and roll concert. And like a rock and roll concert, you also want people to go away with the words stuck in their head. You know, you want them to hum the ideas of your play um, and, uh, and retain them in the same way that a great rock and roll song is this earworm that you wake up to the next morning you know, with your ears ringing uh, from the decibels, but your your head still has the tune, and the and the 
and along with the tune, whatever the words of the song are that resonated and meant something to you. Yeah. And I think theater should be like that too. Yeah. Well, and yeah, you said Brecht, uh, uh, rock and roll, um, mm-hmm. um, uh, stakes, and mm-hmm. I would add, and I would add all that stuff you did for two years in improvisation, which is also mm-hmm. about being being in the present, listening, making mm-hmm. your partner, uh, uh, the the making the scene about your partner, and telling mm-hmm. the truth about what's actually going on. Right. There is no fourth wall. There is no realism. We are, I mean, it's what this, at our best, it's what the Reduce Shakespeare Company does. It's mm-hmm. where we, 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 what we're doing is a vaudeville, which, and Brecht was a showman and a vaudevillian in his way. Absolutely. You know? the, vaudeville was another huge influence on me. You know, when I was in Seattle, uh, Empty Space Theater had, uh, uh, they had, they had created a tradition of outdoor theater in the parks. And, um, you know, the University of Washington Drama Library had this huge collection of old vaudeville scripts. And so the the guys from the space, the folks from the space would go in and they pull these old scripts like, you know, uh, Dr. Salcia's Chamber of Terror and, and things like that, you know, and they they uh, blow them up, fill them full of songs, dances, mug shamelessly. Um, and And I think... This gets back to another thing, you know, as part of improvisation is also uh, what's exciting about live theater is that the audience changes whatever you're doing, you know, is that it literally is physics, you know, is that that for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so, you know, you send energy out into the audience, you get something back from the audience that changes your performance, you know, in very in very clear and specific ways. And, you know, we all talk about how, you know, it was a Saturday night audience. Everybody was, you know, had three glasses of wine and a full belly and it was quieter. Um, But it's not just that, you know, it is that there, there can be a specific reaction that you get to a line that completely changes the next five, 10 minutes in the play because it is, um, you know, it's a cohesive experience where we invite the audience to participate with us. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the worst theater, the deadliest theater is the theater that stops at the edge of the proscenium, mm-hmm. you know, and the most exciting theater is the theater that moves through the proscenium, embraces the audience, tugs them somehow psychically up on stage, and also puts the energy of the performers out there in the house so that there's this churning mix. It's a mosh pit of ideas, to use another rock and roll phrase, (laughs) is that it's not literal, but it's a, you know, my ideas, my feelings watching the play are being changed constantly and challenged in the same way that the performances, the actors, are being changed and challenged by the responses of the audience. Huh. The reason I prefer theater is that it is all of those things. It's not mm-hmm. It's not painting, but it is. It's not music, but it is. It's not improv, it's not scripted, but it is. This is Octavius Solis, longtime Bay Area playwright, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We are still the remote Shakespeare company for at least seven more months. 
but we're beginning to have some small, cautiously optimistic conversations about returning to venues sooner than that if conditions and equity rules permit. We'll keep you posted on Facebook and Twitter as soon as we know anything more. Now back to my conversation with Richard E.T. White, director, outgoing chair of the Cornish College of the Arts Theater Department, and my first cool directing professor. Richard was telling me about what happened to him after he saw the San Francisco Mime Troupe that turned theater for him from a passion into a calling. Later that same year, uh, there was the Seattle production of Hair at the Moore Theater, and Jackie, I took Jackie Benster. Uh, we went because two of our classmates were in it, had been cast in it, and we got up and danced in the aisles at the end and everything. And and that was another thing that just kind of went, whoa, okay, let's let's do stuff like this. Yes, yeah. Let's do yeah. this. You know, let's not necessarily do that. Um, although I, I had also been really fortunate because uh, my first year of school, my parents gave me an amazing gift. They bought me a subscription to the Seattle Rep as my first, for my first year uh, at school. And, um, you know, I had, at the time, I still thought I was gonna be an astronomy major, um, you know, or possibly, you know, in an English teacher or, or whatever. But I kept going to the Seattle Rep and it was the, I was so fortunate to see things like uh, Sergeant Musgrave's dance which is a neo-Brechtian play by John Arden, you know, who was a British socialist, you know, leftist yeah. playwright. And, you know, it was this vicious anti-war play about a soldier who just has what we would now call, uh, you know, an insane level of PTSD who, you know, the, and the play climaxes with this macabre dance that he does where he dances out all of his, guilt and shame and fear and anger for being an engine of destruction mm. you know and it was hair raising and it and it it was life changing watching that actor commit to that performance in that moment in that time and again it was one of those things where you know like we were saying it didn't stay at the edge of the at the stage yeah yeah you know yeah. it it made it held me accountable watching joe summer go through that and and play that and, and watching Musgrave, you know, have that cathartic exorcistic dance. Never seen anything like it in the theater. Rarely seen anything like it since. Um, mm -hmm. So we talked about uh, Brecht and, and, and rock and roll and improv. And I remember you mm -hmm. taught, and I don't think you taught it to my directing class, but maybe to the next term's directing class, a section on stand-up. Stand-up oh. comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was part of the, it was part of the, um, we spent a lot of time working on commedia and, uh -huh. and comic acting techniques. And so, yeah, we did a stand-up unit as part of that. And that, you know, for me, that was an outgrowth of things that I had experienced because um, of, you know, I had entered this world of stand-up comedy with the menagerie, working yeah. in all those comedy clubs. And yeah. I started to see all these amazing performers, uh, you know, young Robin Williams, young yeah. Dana Carvey, all of that. And then I had done a play, my second show at the Eureka, in fact, was a play called Comedians by Trevor Griffiths, who's a, you know, he's an out there socialist playwright. This is a yep. critique of capitalism in the form of a play about, uh, a group of young working class comedians who get their chance to audition for a talent agent. And there's a whole uh, 
basically the, the question is who's going to sell out and who's going to maintain their integrity and who's going to get a contract and who's not. And so working on that was, was an amazing experience because the play is structured in, you know, so there's an ensemble scene uh, in act one and there's an ensemble scene in act two and then act or act three. And then act one is just act two rather is just their routines. Mm. And so, you know, the actors in the cast also then had to do stand-up. So, what we did was we reached out and we brought in people from the stand-up community oh, to cool. coach us and work with us. And, you know, we would spend nights in the clubs and then the, the Eureka had a midnight series. And so we would bring in these uh, comedians and have them do their stand-up as part of the midnight series. So I just got so much out of that. Um, you know, particularly, you know, Bobby Slayton, who just, he killed us and Dana Carvey. They were, there's just something so freaking naked about standup, you oh, know? Boy. And yeah, you have to rehearse it. Yeah, you have to write it. Yeah, you have to prepare it. But you also have to be ready for whatever happens to happen. Yeah. And, and it was masterful watching these hungry, young, amazing artists. And so I think that's what inspired me to do the standup um, unit in the in the acting class and i'm sure you know if if you know henry may and travis bogart and people like that had heard that that was happening in their acting classes they probably would have looked down their glasses at me in, in a you know in a significant way but you know i didn't care no and it was it was it was uh i think it was fun for everybody and yeah. and it was revelatory that's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Richard and I continued our conversation about solo performances, about Shakespeare, about teaching, and you'll hear some of that in just a second. But first, send us your definitions of theater via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to improvising vaudevillian storytelling clown Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Millstone Mom. That's how she identifies on iTunes. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to playwright Octavio Solis. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 752-2256 of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. The mining of autobiography also. Uh, I think that's part of the hunger that we have to, to share... Uh, humanity, our humanity through our autobiographical stories. So, um, you know, something like Nanette, you know, or Douglas, Hannah Gadsby's pieces, you know, yeah. she she connects with us because she's sharing her lived experience with us. It's it's distilled, it's shaped. There's probably some lies in there, but you know what? It's still founded in something that's basic and truthful and amazingly uh, resonant with people who in a room with it. And I think that idea of, uh, you know, I, I think that does, like I said, that goes back to, you know, our ancestors sitting around a fire and, and having an interesting tale to tell. And so, you know, things like the moth and snap judgment, um, you know, all of those incredibly influential uh, programs and podcasts and such, 
um, you know, it's, it's, it's all part of that hunger that we have as humans to, to have an intimate moment with a powerful story. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. So much less. So much less. So much less.